live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Well, I, I can hit balls. You know, I can I can chip and putt. I can, I can do that part. It's the time and attention of walking. This is the Press Box. With JT from 9 yesterday, is kind of going viral. Can you kind of just explain your thoughts behind it? Yeah, it was supposed to be, you know, fun and games, but obviously it's, it hasn't turned out that way. With Granny and Bischoff. Calling the Knights. On ESPN Las Vegas. Hey, here we are. The Tuesday, we're back. Back in action after yesterday's off day, President's Day. Enjoyed it. A little sleep. So, last week, there was a day when Danny was in for Jared, and Danny was like, all right, I got to get you guys on the air, and then I got to run and do something else. And Danny was in and out of this studio. And he sprinted in and out like, yeah. like a madman. Nonstop. Right before the show starts today, Jared's here. Um, Danny comes running in because there's still some fire going on at some other studio. I'm under the impression we're in the only studio that works, and we got an email yesterday telling us that we're getting kicked out of this yeah, studio we're next week. we're going to week. another studio next week. I don't think we're going to be on the air next week. No, no chance. <laughs> we'll be here, but we won't be on the air. How about Danny who comes in today, looks at Tyler and I, goes, weird question, either of you guys have lotion? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't you? You gave me like 12 things of lotion. They're at my house. I did not keep them in my car or in the studio. Um, but yeah, he apparently got a new tattoo and forgot to put lotion on it. Yeah, and he's worried about drying it drying up. out. Yeah. It's drying up. So fun morning for Danny. He's he's still walking in and out of here with problems. He is. I expect him to come back about three or four more times <laughs> before the show's over with some other problem he's got to fix. I do not have the first bite ready. All right. right here Maybe our go. studio doesn't work either. The, the first, first bite. Ed can just do all the sound. Yes. Yeah, all right. Well, that's bite. what we'll do. When will UNLV be good at basketball again? This is a loaded question. It is. <laughs> it's so a loaded let, question. Let me give you the stat first. UNLV, they're they're five and ten in Mountain West play, which means they they cannot have a record of five hundred or better, right? right? They needed to win out starting over the Eight weekend. Eight and ten is the best, right? In the last nine seasons, now UNLV will have a record below five hundred. Six of those nine seasons in Mountain West play, yes. There are only two Mountain West programs in that time frame that have more seasons under 500 and it's the two obvious cases it's air force who has done it all nine times and it's san jose state who has done it the previous eight seasons and this year they have a good chance to actually finish with an above 500 record but they could also do it all nine times so basically over the last nine years san jose state and air force are the bottom of this conference we all know that unlv's one step above them UNLV is not multiple steps. UNLV is not in the top tier. UNLV is not in the middle tier. UNLV is one step above the two horrible teams in this conference. Haven't made the tournament since 2013. When are they going to be good NCAA again? Tournament. Like this is, it, it's gotten to a point where it's, it seems almost impossible that UNLV is this bad year after year after year where they are not, Relevant for the NCAA tournament pretty much ever. And they're not competitive in conference play pretty much ever. And they never win conference tournament games. 
They don't even make it to the semis. We talk about, you know, can UNLV win the Mountain West Tournament? They don't even make it to the semis. They haven't been to the semis. I think it's over a decade. This team, like this program, it's impossible that they have had this little success for a decade. Yeah, especially being UNLV. Especially being UNLV, a team, uh, you know, there is history to it. Yeah. It's a while ago, but there is history to it. You'd think that you could recruit to it to have winning teams. Um, Has a lot going for it. A lot more than Air Force and San Jose State, let's be honest, um, in terms of history and anything kids want being in Vegas, facilities, playing in, you know, playing in the Mountain West in terms of uh, uh, now they didn't do it this year, but they have the ability to play big-time teams. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer. Um, and I do think, and let me ask you this, um, how much of it is, and we, th- some of this turnover in coaches, it couldn't be helped. Beard, you're going to go to Texas Tech. <laughs> uh, you know, Osselberger, you're going to go to Iowa State. You're going to go to these Power Five jobs. I'm sorry. Right. So you can't, it, it is what it is in that sense. I mean, you, you're not going to keep those guys for that. But they've had a lot of turnover at that realm. How much do you think that has to do with the inability to find some kind of consistency within the program? Well, I think the turnover is because they've had bad coaches. I don't think it's... Well, those other two weren't bad coaches, I don't well, think. Well, yes, but those two were very good basketball coaches, but they left before they did anything here. But I think when you look at, like, why did Dave Rice get fired? Well, Dave Rice hasn't coached, hasn't been a head coach in college basketball since then. If Dave Rice was a great head coach, he'd, he'd probably be coaching as a head coach somewhere. Marvin Menzies w- was not a good head coach here. Like, keeping Marvin Menzies another year wouldn't have suddenly solved an, uh-oh, this is an NCAA tournament team every year. And so far, Kevin Kruger hasn't proved that he's a good coach. We have not seen that Kruger is a good coach. I don't think it's a matter of, oh, they've got to keep guys for long periods of time because I don't think that works in present-day college basketball. I don't think you can say, hey, we need to keep this guy around, give him four to five years to prove it because it take Kevin Kruger, for example. What's he done every offseason? He's rebuilt the entire roster with transfers. What he, They're... What do they have? What is it, like nine upperclassmen on this year's roster? He's only got two guys that he recruited out of high school in Keyshawn Hall and Keyshawn Gilbert. He's brought in guys to be immediate fixes, and it hasn't worked, and he's going to have to do that again this offseason. Not as much this offseason. If guys stay, not I, as much I this doubt off-season. many stay. He's I, don't probably, know, I don't know the answer to that. He's we'll probably see. bringing in seven we'll or eight new guys this offseason because you're going to lose, uh, what is it, three of them are out of eligibility. You look at guys like David Mawaka, who gets benched for no reason, wouldn't well, be shocked. Well, he's back playing. I'm not, I'm not so sure he'll leave. Wouldn't be so shocked sure if leave. he transfers. Keyshawn Hall got to play like three or four games, and then he's suddenly not playing anymore. Like Jackie Johnson got completely benched until they got injuries and had to play this last game. They're going to have like four or five kids transfer. That's just the reality of college that. basketball. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I, I know it's the reality of college basketball, but I, we'll see if, if that many leave. So we're setting the under over at four and a half and... No, not four and a half. Let's set the over under. Let's set the over under two and a half and see what happens. It's way over. I think think it's going to be way over. He is going to. And here's the thing. Even if you say they're going to bring back a lot of these kids, they're not any good. They're not winning anything. So, okay, you bring back all of these guys to do what? Go seven and 11 and Mountain West play again next year. Like turnover happens sometimes because you're really good. But turnover generally happens because things went poorly. Like, that's what's happened here. They have had bad season after bad season. Players aren't good enough and transfer slash get pushed out of the program. And coaches aren't good enough and get fired because of it. If they were really good, 
they'd have a three or four year sustained uh, success. Look at what Nevada did with Eric Musselman. Yes, they eventually lost him, but they had Jordan Caroline and the Martin twins. And they had those three players as the key of their program for what? Two years, maybe three years. Uh, and they were really, really good. And then they all left because they ran out of eligibility and Musselman went to Arkansas. UNLV doesn't have that. That's not what's happening at UNLV. UNLV is losing kids and losing coaches because they're not any good. And until that changes, it's going to be the case. It'd be one thing if UNLV had all this turnover because Otzelberger went to back-to-back NCAA tournaments and got a better job. And Marvin Menzies went to an NCAA tournament and got a better job. And Dave Rice went to a better job. That's not happening. They're, they're losing coaches because they're not any good. Because the athletic director is looking at it and saying, can you get us to the NCAA tournament again? And the answer was no with Dave Rice. The answer was no with Marvin Menzies. Well, Rice went to the NCAA tournament. But he, but they didn't look at it and say he was going back again. Could he get him there again? And Dave Rice, they didn't think he could. If they thought Dave Rice could get UNLV back to the NCAA tournament, he wouldn't have gotten fired. I'm trying to think how many he went to. Went to his first two years. He went to the NCAA, NCAA tournament, tournament. Then two full seasons, no NCAA tournament, no NIT, not even close. And then he got fired midway through his fifth season where they were 0-3 in Mountain West play and they were basically in the situation UNLV is now. They're going to have to win the Mountain West tournament to go to the NCAA tournament and that wasn't going to happen that year either. So it's they've had the turnovers because they've had bad coaches and players. Are you not suggesting because, they're not going to go four and four days? I We haven't seen them. When's the last time they won two games in the Mountain West tournament? Like what, what's it well, been? Well, they haven't been to the semis. Right. And I'm, I'm trying to think the last time they went to the semis. I'd, I'd have to go back and check. They haven't won four games in five years at the Mountain West Tournament, let alone in four days. Yeah. I mean, I everything everything you're saying has credence to it. I just, again, I do think that it would help maybe, and maybe this is, maybe we have to see, maybe we have to see if this helps in terms of some consistency within that program instead of always changing everything. Do you know they've, and it's not just the basketball program, They've had we, we we gave this stat out uh, a couple of weeks ago about San Diego State and how how long uh, Fisher and Dutcher's been there uh, twenty twenty four years um, that it's been either one of the two and it's pretty much been both of them because Dutcher was with them the whole time. In that time, this university, whether it's full time or interim, has had seven presidents and seven athletic directors and how and te- you know ten basketball coaches. I just don't think that I, I just don't think you can do stuff like that and, and remain or, or gain any kind of consistency. The thing that shocked me on that those numbers was seven presidents. Presidents stay at places forever, <laughs> don't they? Yes. I, I I'm serious. You get a president's job, a university president's job, like you just said earlier. Unless you're jumping to a quote unquote better university or better school, presidents stay places at a long time. They've had seven in that tenure. They've had seven uh, full-time or interim ADs. They've had 10 full-time or interim basketball coaches. There's just no consistency. So the Steve Fisher example, he went to the NCAA tournament his third season at San Diego State, NIT in his fourth. And then they had two seasons where they were under 500, and then they went to the NCAA tournament or the NIT every single season until he retired. So it wasn't necessarily immediate success, but Steve Fisher had some very early success. At San Diego State, there was something tangible to point to. And then Brian Dutcher takes over, and they went to the NCAA tournament in his very first season, right? Even that example, there was there was something to point to. All of the coaches in the last decade that UNLV's moved on from, except I guess you could say Dave Rice went in his first two years and then didn't go his next three, but all these other coaches, 
There's been nothing to point to. There was nothing in the Marvin Menzies era to point to as success. There's been nothing under Otzelberger. There has been nothing under Kevin Kruger to point to. And sure, maybe you could say, well, if we give them five, six, seven years, maybe they finally figure it out. But that's a long time to be waiting. The other example that people use is uh, Leon Rice. Because he's been at Boise State for I a think long this is, time. I think this is year 13 yeah, for him. A long time. He went in his third year. He went to the NCAA tournament in year three. Now, he didn't go again for like seven or eight seasons. So there was a long drought for Boise State, and they stuck with him the entire time. But is anybody signing up for that? Would any Would any UNLV fan right now sign up for, hey, you're going to keep Kevin Kruger. He's going to go to the NCAA tournament in his third year. So that would be next year. And then he's not going to go again for eight seasons. No, I don't think the, I don't know because but I also think in eight seasons a long time I get that. But I also think that and maybe you'll disagree here that around this place there are unrealistic ex- expectations from a lot of people. I don't think making the NCAA tournament's unrealistic. We're not talking about the final four. We're not talking about people that think this should be Jerry Tarkanian. I'm talking about this segment started going five hundred in Mountain West play. They cannot do that. That's that's where my expect I'm talking about that. Win 10 Mountain West games and be on the bubble. That's not unrealistic. UNLV should be able to do that every single season, every single year. If Utah State can do that, if Nevada can do that, there's no reason UNLV can't be a 500 or better Mountain West team every single year. Maybe you have a down year once or twice a decade, but there's no reason you can't be 10 and 8 in the Mountain West and a damn five seed in the Mountain West tournament. And by the way, win a game or two. Go to the finals every now and then. You don't even have to win it. Just go to the semis. Like have UNLV playing on the Friday of the Mountain West tournament weekend. That hasn't happened in, I'll get off to look it up to double check. But it's been a decade. Like this is not, this is not anybody. I mean, there are, but this is not anybody saying UNLV needs to go to the final four or even the sweet 16. Oh, there's some out there that do. There are, but that's not what I'm saying right now. I'm saying, Go to the final four of the Mountain West tournament. Be in the final four of the Mountain West regular season standings. Those are things this program has not been doing for a decade. They're a step above San Jose State at the moment, which is a sad place to be, right? That's not very good for UNLV basketball. All right. um, So this is going to be awkward. I was trying to plan this so that it wouldn't be awkward, but it's going to be awkward anyways. Before we go to break, uh, we do want to give... Our condolences to the Ryan Keeler family and the UNLV football family. Uh, It's been reported that Ryan Keeler, a UNLV defensive lineman, uh, passed away over the weekend. He was a transfer in from Rutgers. He was an academic All-American at a 3.8 GPA. Uh, He played in seven games for UNLV last season. And UNLV announced yesterday that he had passed away. So uh, our condolences to both his family and the UNLV football family because that is something... You never want to. It's horrible. No, you don't want to see it. He's 20 years old and uh, just horrible, horrible news out of UNLV. And like you said, um, all our thoughts are to the Rebel family and to the Keeler family. Um, uh, Just terrible news this morning. They are done with Rodgers. That's the way it is right now that he's not coming back. I mean, they're disgusted with him and they're done with him and they're moving on. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Later in the show, we are going to have tickets to give away to the Mountain West Tournament. 
We're also going to have tickets to give away to the NIT, which is in Las Vegas at the Orleans Arena this year. But today in the NFL is the first day that teams can place the franchise tag on a player. Uh, The Raiders' most obvious candidate is Josh Jacobs. He is not under contract for next season. They appear to have not had um, come close to agreeing to a long-term extension. At least there hasn't been any reports about that. And so Jacobs would conceivably be the Raiders' franchise tag option. There are a lot of other interesting ones, Lamar Jackson, Daniel Jones, that we can get into as well. Um, The window to franchise tag a player closes on March 7th. So you've got a little over two weeks here to actually franchise tag a player. Is there any benefit in your mind to franchise tagging Josh Jacobs like immediately? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think they're going to try to work on a multi-year extension, which means at ten oh one this morning, you can expect him to be tagged <laughs> because we will be off the air, and the the breaking news will come at that <laughs> as point. As soon as we're done, as soon as we're done, he'll be tagged. Um, I would still try to work on it with him, and if you can't get it done, then tag him. You you said to tag him and trade him. Um, I think ultimately, eventually, he gets franchise tagged because I just don't know if they work out a long-term extension with a running back who, while had a great year last year, is not going to do that again. I really, really wish we could get Josh McDaniels to truthfully answer, hey, what do you think about the value of Josh Jacobs to your team? Because last year, this time basically, they did not pick up his fifth-year option, which is why he is a free agent if they don't tag him this offseason. And then they played him in the Hall of Fame game. Everybody's eyebrows were like, wait a minute. Why why is he on the field for this kind of game? And then he led the league in rushing, and they gave him an unbelievable amount of carries to a point where we were like, should they have given Samir White more than seven carries the entire year? It was a very strange, like, oh, we don't think this guy's very valuable. He's playing in the Hall of Fame game. Here is every single carry we can possibly give you. You lead the league in rushing. And obviously, when you have a guy leading the league in rushing, when you have a guy having a season as good as Josh Jacobs, you're not going to trash him. You're not going to even, everything you're going to say is going to be be praiseworthy. Yeah, of course. And so I wish now that the season's over, now that you have to look at a roster and build a roster with a salary cap, I kind of wish we could get an honest uh, well, we statement. might get that on a statement based on what they do with him. And I think that is what's going to happen is if they true, like all the things that Josh McDaniel said about Jacobs during the season, remember they, they made him a captain halfway through the mm-hmm. year, right? Which was apparently player driven, but still they added him to the group of captains. If they give him the franchise tag, they're basically saying, we don't value you after this upcoming season. Right. Exactly. Right? Whereas if they give him some sort of extension that's more than two, a year, three years, then they would be saying, value. Right, we value you beyond this. You changed our minds, basically. But we won't know that until there's some news of a contract or right. some news of a franchise tag. And until then, I do you have a good idea? Because I, I, I think he gets I've always thought he too. got tagged. I've always thought he was going to get tagged because, well, because he's a running back and their their reputation going back to New England is more running back by committee. And I also think that I'm not saying they ran him into the ground, but they just used last year's. We're going to give him every carry right. and he's going to lead their league in rushing. And we'll worry about next year, next year. 
if you're the Raiders, what's your what's your initial contract offer to Josh Jacobs? Like, obviously, you're going to have talks about an extension, and and they would sign him. I I think they would sign him to a long term deal if the price was right. Right? If Jacobs was I mean, willing to play for three million a year, they're going to say, okay, that works. He's not going to do that, right? But what, if you're the two Raiders, to three years. What? But what's the price on two to three years? Well, if the franchise tag guarantees him ten point, I think it's ten point four. For him to sign it, I think it'd have to be more than that. So, 12, 15? And I think that's the problem you run into if you're the Raiders. Because if I'm the Raiders, my goal, if I'm going to sign Jacobs to an extension, my goal is to pay him less than $10 million per season. And the only way that Josh Jacobs would even entertain that is if you guaranteed like four years, three or four years at 7 or $8 million. Yeah, he's going to want more than the 10. Right, because for Josh Jacobs, the franchise tag is what you're likely to get, and that's $10 million guaranteed. Mm-hmm. For one season, $10 million guaranteed. If you're the Raiders, and you offer, and you're, excuse me, if you're Jacobs, and they offer you a deal that pays you less than $10 million a season. But two to three years is guaranteed. You're most likely laughing at it unless the guaranteed money is significantly more. And if they came at you and said, well, here's three years of $8 million and it's fully guaranteed. Well, then maybe Jacobs would consider it. I think you consider it. I think you take it. But if you're the Raiders, I don't think you give a running back three years fully guaranteed. Even if it's cheaper than the franchise tag, I think you say, I think maybe you offer, you know, here's two years at 8 million fully guaranteed. And Jacobs probably doesn't, Jacobs probably doesn't accept that because Jacobs probably says, I'll just play for the franchise tag for 10 million and then sign a new deal next year for more than six. So I, I don't think there's a realistic way unless the Raiders did, in fact, change their mind, and they really do love Josh Jacobs. How do we get Melvin Gordon on the team? <laughs> That's the only path I care about. So if we have to franchise Josh Jacobs in order to get Melvin Gordon. Did you see Melvin Gordon at the parade uh, point out to Chris Jones, the fan who was just there to see Chris Jones? No. Yeah, it was, people were saying it's the biggest contribution Melvin Gordon made to the Chiefs all season. But some fan had a sign that just, like, was, I, I don't know what it said, but, like, I love Chris Jones, whatever. And Melvin Gordon saw it and, like, stopped Chris Jones and was like, go talk to them. And Chris Jones walks over with his cigar and signs something for him. So Melvin Gordon can help with the parade here. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it'll have to be the Aces <laughs> parade, parade, but when there's he a parade on the here, Aces bus. Yeah, he can help. All right, coming up next year on ESPN Las Vegas, David Roth joins the show. Subscribe to The Distraction, a multitude production for Defector. Listen to The Distraction wherever you get your podcasts. He is adorned in flannel and still doesn't have a building super. He eats soup cooked on a hot plate. David Roth from Defector is here to tell us about his uninstalled appliances. David, I heard Jared ask you this question during the break, but I didn't hear your answer. Um, what age did you retire from helping people move? So I said early 30s, which I think is, uh, you know, I don't know if it's normal, but that was the case for me. Uh, the reason it came up is, I don't know if you talked to Jared, who is in his early 30s, and someone made that man carry couches up a bunch of stairs, and he doesn't seem to be doing great. <laughs> his back is not good. He, he walked in limping today. Yeah, the first thing I heard was my yeah. hip doesn't work. That's not good. But that's the part you need. Basically, you need a working back and a working front uh, if you're going to get through the day. And if you're trying to do it with just one, it's going to be tough. He apparently helped two people move in one weekend. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I had weekends like that. It's not what I think about when I'm, you know, remembering my wild 20s. But there were definitely times where it's just like, 
someone that I don't know's roommate is moving into a fourth floor walk up and they're like, do you want $20 or do you want like two beers? And I'll be like, yeah, very much. And then I would do it. Whereas uh, I think once you get older there, it's, uh, it's a tough one to sort of convince yourself on. I think that at this point I'm like visibly frail enough that no one's going to ask me to do it, which is nice. I got a jug of whiskey, so it was worth it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'd say the one of the like moving stuff up and down the stairs that I enjoyed was I was walking with a friend who doesn't even live here uh, in the East Village, you know, when we were in our probably later 20s. And a guy was really struggling to move a futon up the stairs. And he was like, I will give each of you $40 if you help me carry this thing up the stairs. And so we carried a stranger's futon, which is a terrible <laughs> thing to have to carry up the stairs. because It's like heavy and wiggly and unstructured. Carried it up the stairs. He gave us each some money, and then we just went to a bar, and it was great. Like that was, <laughs> like it. I feel like I dreamt it, but I know that it was real. And uh, that I, I don't think that will happen again either. But if if Jerry got a great big jug, like a handle of uh, your higher quality non disinfectant grade whiskey, then I have to say that's worth it. Was it higher quality, Jerry? I'm imagining it's multiple different kinds of whiskey poured into the same jug. It was a blended scotch. <laughs> yeah, well, blended by whom? Like, was it blended professionally, or was it the sort of thing where they were like, you get what's left over in all of these bottles, and we're going to pour it in this uh, empty high C container for you? There was a very nice white label with red lettering, if that gives you any indication of the nice. brand. Okay, yeah, no, that sounds solid. That's, uh, you know, high-quality lettering, good color. I got no notes. Uh, I have a very, very deep into sports radio and sports television question for you. How do you oh, fix good. the NBA All-Star game? I think it's tough. I So we've had this conversation at work because we you know, knew that you had to blog it. Uh, people were talking about it. And yet I feel like it's kind of always been like this and the only way that you can do it. It's like the conversation. There's a bunch of really bad conversations that you can have online about um, what do you do when there's someone smoking on your subway train? That's been a thing that's been happening in New York City more, something that hasn't happened uh, in like 25 years. But now there'll be like a person smoking a cigarette there. And if you say, I don't like that, then people will reply to you, oh, so you want them to go to Rikers Island then. <laughs> and, that's, <laughs> and that's not right. There's a middle ground between that. But I think that the way that it works is basically everyone uh, on the train who is not a police officer being like, yo, put that out. That's annoying. There's kids on here or whatever. And I think with the NBA game, with the All-Star game, that if you want people to play defense, then everyone sort of needs to get together a little bit beforehand and like agree to play a little bit of defense. But what I remember from the weirdest All-Star game performances, and I think that Jason Tatum was not quite as like try-hardy as I remember, for instance, Kobe being during All-Star games. But there's always one guy that's trying to score 60 points, and then there's a bunch of people with really bad hangovers. And then there's someone that is aware the Jamal McGlure uh, experience is what I'm talking about here, that they're, they're definitely playing in their only All-Star game, and they want to like use all their fouls and get a dunk. And I think that there has to be it's going to have to come from the players because the idea of like Adam Silver getting in the locker room before the game and being like, everyone remember to try. Like, I want to see you out there going like un under screens. Like, no, that's not going to work. And so you have to, it has to come from the players themselves. I do get the sense that they were more embarrassed about this game than usual. Like, was it Jalen Brown afterwards who was like, that game was a layup line. It was embarrassing, <laughs> which is like, it takes a lot. For someone that just played in a basketball game to, as soon as it's over, be like, that sucked. I hated it. 
Is it the same with getting anyone that matters to compete in the dunk contest? I think, yes. I think with the dunk contest, there, it's all like, it's similar in that I think it's going to come down to peer pressure more than anything else. Because I don't think that if the league mandates stuff, I think the players won't like it. I will understand why they wouldn't like it. And I also think that sends the wrong message. Whereas, like, with the dunk contest, I mean, when I was a kid, and I think this is going to date me even more than my story of carrying a futon up the stairs well, that, like, all the really good, like, the best scorers in the NBA wanted to win the dunk contest. And that hasn't been the case for a really long time. But at this point, I mean, it was basically as fun as the dunk contest was. And I really liked the dunks, and I really enjoyed watching it. I thought McClung was great. I thought Trey Murphy was great. It definitely also had the feeling of like a, a G League event, you know, that these were guys that were not identifiable to even like your most hardcore fans. Mac McClung's played like 25 minutes in the NBA. I think that, you know, if LeBron decided he wanted to do it, I think that it would change the way that people think about it. But he hasn't been in a, you know, that's just not the stage of his career that he's in. But I think that's what it would have to take, is that basically if the players that everybody looks up to are doing it, then maybe there's a shot at it. I mean, I think they really had to cajole Damian Lillard to enter the three-point contest this year. I think that it's like just sort of not done. Like if you're an all-star, you play in the all-star game, maybe you go to the other stuff. But you don't want to be seen as uh, like, you know, the teacher's pet at all-star weekend. The teacher's pet. All right. You are probably overly qualified to help us out here. Uh, imagine there is a Texas Rangers fan. I don't know how many exist, but imagine there is one. What would you be <laughs> telling them about Jacob deGrom? I tried to work my way through this yesterday, and it's, it's I wrote a post for Defector about it, and it's really more like, it's like you're sitting in on a therapy session of mine more than it is you're going to learn anything about baseball, because what I would tell them <laughs> is uh, to enjoy as much of the Jacob deGrom baseball as you get to watch and also to try not to guess how much of that there's going to be. I think that right now, I mean, it's strange that it started so early. That There was a whole, you know, there were stories being written, there were people freaking out online about deGrom uh, delaying his first workout, which is the sort of thing where, as uh, Chelsea James pointed out in the Washington Post, you can't be behind schedule if you haven't had a workout yet. Like, if you're throwing, you're on schedule, and he's throwing. And yet everybody, I think, is waiting, I think, you know, reasonably, if you look at what his last few years have been like, for the moment when they're like, oh, here it is. Like, now he's out for three months because he's got, uh, you know, some sort of mysterious mid-body injury. I think that the Rangers are clearly betting. If you look at the guys that they signed as free agents the last couple of years, they clearly believe that they've figured something out in terms of keeping pitchers healthy at the major league level, which, you know, if they have, then they have Jacob deGrom and Nathan Evaldi and Jonathan Gray and Andrew Heaney, and that's pretty good. If they haven't, then they get 60 innings of all of those guys at absolute market rate to above, and they're, you know, fighting it out with the A's for last place. I don't know that it's possible for a team to figure that sort of thing out. I kind of feel like if it were possible, some team other than the Rangers would have done it first. But at this point, like all you can do is uh, trust their medical professionals and try to enjoy the, you know, at least 70, maybe as many as 130, 150 innings of DeGrom that you get, because they're going to be worth it. It's just, you got to hope they're in the right places. 
Are you looking forward to the World Baseball Classic? I always look forward to the World Baseball Classic. I I need to remember to watch it. Like it's happening at a time of year where I haven't gotten my baseball watching muscles in shape yet, and so and the games are sometimes on like during the day or whatever. And I'm you know not that I'm averse to daytime sports. I think it's one of the the great treats of being an adult sports fan, but. I like the baseball. I like the vibe maybe more than anything else. Like I like how much the people sort of seem to care about it and uh, how much fun they generally are having. That doesn't always favor the U.S. teams. Uh, American baseball players are not having as much fun on balance as Dominican or Venezuelan baseball players, I don't think, at the WBC. But I'm looking forward to it. I also, it's weird that that's starting in like, what, like two, three weeks? March 7th. Gosh, yeah. So I'm not. I need to get ready. Like I need to familiarize myself with it. All I know right now is that the uh, the Netherlands roster has a lot of really good names on it, <laughs> and that the, like there's a lot of you know Gorp Van Gerp type stuff happening there, which is always delightful. But I, if I know more guys on the Netherlands team than on the uh, USA team, then I need to get it together. <laughs> Uh, Dutch is such a great language because all the names sound made up. Every time the Netherlands plays in any sort of the Olympics or the World Cup, all the names are made up. They're all fake names. They're not real. Yeah, just like a lot of like double U's nestled in the middle of things. That's really like it's designed for maximum fun saying out loud. And that roster, I highly recommend that you check out the Netherlands baseball roster because it's like there's a Scope brother I didn't know about. There's a Profar that's not Jerickson on it. Like, it's all uh, like a tour of your house, sort of like indie circuit baseball guys. Uh, it's a it's a fun team. Uh, we will probably spend an entire 10 minutes reading names off of the Netherlands baseball roster at some point. Yeah, um, the listener, listeners will thank you for yeah. the honk ball roster that you're going to expose them to, I think. He is David Roth from Defector. David, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, David. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Uh, looking at it right now, Dennis Bergersdyke. I'm with, I'm with Jared. There's one more than one pro far? Apparently. Uh, Kenley Jansen, by the way, is on the Dutch team. All right. So they could okay. be your favorite. Yeah. My, my favorite Dutch name ever is a uh, female soccer player. They played the United States in the World Cup the last time in the final. Uh, her last name is Van de Donk. Van de Dunk? Van, it's V-A-N space D-E space, space Dunk? Donk. Oh, D-O-N-K. I thought, you meant, I thought you said Dunk. Van de Donk. It's a great name. That, that would be an excellent kicker <laughs> for, like, the <laughs> Minnesota Vikings. It's a great name. And that's just her last name. Her first name is Danielle. Van de Donk. <laughs> Phenomenal name. All right. Coming up next year on ESPN Las Vegas, we'll get in to some NBA. Y'all baby these dudes so much today. They don't want to play back-to-back games. Every time a fan says something, they get them tossed. If they're not happy, they want to get traded. Like, it's going to come to a head in the next CBA. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Do either of you think I owe Mac McClung an apology? Forget what you said about Mac McClung, that he shouldn't have been in there because he's only played like ten minutes. In he the hasn't NBA. played a single I mean, minute this season. The first total, time he put on a Sixers total. jersey was for the dunk contest. Yeah, if not, he would have had a G League jersey on. <laughs> that would have been better, actually. And, I mean, and he won it with a G League jersey on. I think the only negative comments I made about him is that's got to be a hard name to then dunk with because Clung is the noise of you hitting the rim with the ball. He didn't even do that. He made them all on his first yeah. try. Mac McClung, great dunker. Um, I am not giving him an apology because 
my point still stands. I would rather watch the stars of the NBA give me five out of 10 dunks than YouTube sensation Mac McClung give me a 10 out of 10 dunk every single time. It's the all-star weekend, not the YouTube sensation weekend. If you want to watch a guy pull off a ridiculous dunk, you can pull that up on YouTube whenever you want. Ooh. We want to see LeBron James or John Morant or Anthony Edwards even pull off fun dunks. We want to see that. Like, it was more entertaining LeBron and Giannis drafting their teams than it was for me to watch the dunk contest <laughs> because I do not care about Mac McClung or Trey Murphy or Jericho Sims. I just don't care about them. If I wanted to watch a six foot two white guy do a 540 dunk, I'd go on YouTube and watch it. But I don't care about who Mac McClung is. I do care about what LeBron and Giannis do. I mean, I'd rather see those guys, but it's fun. it's uh, cool to me that you're a little get off my lawn guy right now. I am. I'm very old you're, at the you're, moment. You're very you're very get off my lawn guy. I want to watch the star players do something. I don't want to watch Mac McClung do something. There's a G League team here in Las Vegas with the presumed number two pick in the NBA yes. draft. Yes, I could go watch them play. I don't. You know why? Because I don't care. When Scoot Henderson is <laughs> on an right. NBA roster next year, I'll Our watch him play. in Henderson. <laughs> Thanks, Nobody Tyler. cares about the G League, and we don't care about Mac McClung. We should be getting LeBron James or Ja Morant. Just where's Ja Morant? That's the I real, think I, those days are over. But where's Ja? LeBron's like ancient. Okay, fine. He's not going to do the dunk contest. Why is Ja Morant not in the dunk contest? The dude's doing dunk contest dunks in games. Yeah, I look, I'd rather watch those guys. Yeah. I think... Uh, what what David said is right, and I don't like it in terms of these guys now don't think they have to do this and don't think they should. They'll show up and, like, you know, go ooh and ah and, you know, uh, high-five Mac McClung and everything. But for some reason, at some point, this became to them not something cool to do. Uh, I'd rather see the Stars do it as well, but I just think at some point it they, they backed off it for whatever reason. Um, I don't think it's because they think they're going to get hurt. They dunk all the time. LeBron dunks half his half his baskets right. with dunks. Right. Uh, on the All-Star game itself, would it be better if they borrowed from hockey and played three-on-three three or even one-on-one one instead of a full five-on-five? Oh, one-on-one five on one on one one on would, one would be great. Make it, take it. Because the whole the whole idea of, well, why aren't they trying on defense? And and David Roth kind of said, well, the players would just have to all collectively buy in. They just have to sit down ahead of time and say, we're going to try, try, at least for the fourth quarter, the Elam ending, we're going to try on defense. I feel like there would be enough personal pride that if you had a one-on-one tournament, guys would try. Absolutely. In front of everybody, yes. in front of the world? Yes. 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 They would not want to get beat one-on-one. And... Yes. Fan-wise, fan that would be better than any game, right? It'd be great to like, watch. Like, there have been great NBA All-Star games, right? The NBA TV had the last time they were in Utah on NBA TV over the weekend, and I watched part of it. It went to overtime. It was a good basketball game. But if you're telling me we got one-on-one, we got LeBron going one-on-one against Giannis, we got Jason Tatum going one-on-one against Kyrie Irving or something like that, That'd be incredible to watch. Yeah, because like you said, they would try. Right. They would and, not want to lose that in front of everybody. And then we'd get hilarious matchups of like Kyrie Irving against Nikola Jokic. Yes. Which would just, I don't i don't even know who would win. Probably Kyrie Irving, but would Jokic score in every possession? I think they both might. But like it would be, I think that's 
the most fun thing I think you could possibly do at the All-Star Weekend is give us a one-on-one tournament of all the All-Stars. Yeah. Um, but I, would the players ever, like, agree to that? Do they have to agree to it? Can NBA just do it yeah, anyways? I, I was going to say, this is this something you throw in the CBA, the CBA and see if they notice. I don't know if they would agree to it for the reason you said. Just like the reason that you don't want to be the last pick in the draft is the possibility that you lose and in your own mind they're such egotistical guys right that you'd be embarrassed or you'd lose and people would watch it and see it even though they're all stars that you'd yes. be losing against like if if lebron james lost a one-on-one game to julius randall yes <laughs> i mean think about that for his ego yeah it'd be funny it'd be hilarious it'd be great but and here's the thing just, it would mean nothing there'd be julius no randall's like 20 20- no, but to them it would. Right. It would there was there'd be no realistic like, oh, he lost that one-on-one game to 11 to Julius Randle. He's not Randall as good as we thought time. he was. Like there'd be no realistic he's not the goat. He lost to Julius Randle. Jordan never lost one-on-one. But yeah, but people exactly. would say that on Twitter and it would probably that's how they would probably view it. They would do the Jordan yeah. one. Kobe played his whole entire career one-on-one. <laughs> yes. <to> five. <laughs> but that's what I want to see is a one-on-one tournament. At the All-Star Game, that would be the most intriguing, entertaining form of yeah, basketball they, would they never could put do out it. there. Give it to me. They would never do it. How do we get them mic'd up? They Luca was mic'd up during the game. Oh wow! During the actual All-Star Game, yeah. I may need to go. Up. I may need to go back to college for my audio stuff because back in the day, those things used to be pretty big. Whenever you <laughs> mic someone up, yeah, we can mic them up during the game. That'll work. So they, let's play one-on-one. It's the it's the only sport we have where you can realistically play one-on-one. The only one we have. So yeah. let's do it at the All-Star Game, and everyone will eat it up. 